welcome once again, my friends, to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and you, in your infinite wisdom, are listening to the podcast that comes out every week for the 70-odd million Irish people around the world. Now, lads, we've nothing against them still living in Ireland. They're more than welcome and sure most of them listen as well. But it is in particular for those of us who've either left the island in our own lifetimes or who are born to people who are who left uh, Ireland and we are there sons and daughters and heirs around the world. I hope you had a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. I have a jam-packed episode for you, right? There's two interviews coming up, right? Spoiling you rotten, lads, because we often have that little bit of a crash after St. Patrick's Day. We go, oh, jeez, that was brilliant altogether. And now it's another year until we do it again. So just before we leave St. Patrick's Day, I want to bring you three different voices from around the world, right? There's a very good friend of mine, Shane Monaghan. And Shane has, uh, I've been discussing podcasting with him for a long, long time, and he helps me with ideas and with, you know, being a sort of a, a sounding board for the ideas that I have for this podcast, and that he's very, very helpful indeed. And indeed, if you're interested in the area of audio or social audio, get in touch with him, right? But Shane started a, an app or a social media platform called Lemur, and the way I would describe it, and he'll probably slap me in the head for this, it's like Instagram for audio. So basically, it's a place where you can send public voice notes and start discussions and that kind of thing. And it's been going for a few years now and very successful and they recently just launched an enterprise platform um, Shane, you may know, has played a lot of rugby in his time and uh, splits his time between Gloucester and Ireland and he's currently in Gloucester working hard on that project. So I went on to Lemur, I've had an account there for a good while, and I went on to Lemur and I said, uh, can I get a few voices from around the world, right? And I have three clips here that I recorded on Lemur, three voice notes that people responded to me with that I'm going to bring to you now. The first one is from Shane himself, who uh, was delighted with this idea and couldn't wait to get stuck in with a bit of music and a bit of chat. And then we have one woman who's coming to us from Ireland and then we have one of the characters if you like on Limor uh, and you'll work out why as soon as you hear what he has to say so before we close the book on St. Patrick's Day 2023 here are three voices from it on the Global Gale podcast Philip I was making real effort for this one Irish jig music in the background to wish you a la fela Padraig hope you're having a wonderful time in Sweden, and I am checking in, as you mentioned, in your cast from Gloucester in the United Kingdom. Tomorrow, St. Patrick's Day, it's going to be a pretty normal day for me. I'm going to be working hard on Zoom calls, building the Lemur Empire. But um, I hope everyone around the world has a fantastic day and uh, remembers to be proud of being Irish. And um, we have a fantastic Little Island, some fantastic people and have made a massive impact across the globe, punching well above our weight, as Irish people know well. But uh, brilliant stuff, great idea as well to share here in Lima, to ask the question and uh, really looking forward to your future content on Lima. Hello, Philip. Lovely to talk to you. I'll just... Um tell you a couple of things about my Patrick's uh, weekend. I actually live on the east coast of Ireland, but I'm here in Newport, County Mayo. I only arrived yesterday until Sunday. Now, surprise, surprise, what do we come across today? Only His Highness Albert II from Monaco arriving today with his small entourage to unveil a bronze statue of his mother, the late Grace Kelly, actress, which I'm sure you know of, because... Her grandfather, 
her ancestors came from just out the road, out uh, from Newport, I'd say two or three miles out the road. I think the um, Drimula is the actual townland. The ruins of the cottage where he was born and raised uh, is still there and a bit of land. He left Newport in 1867 for America. So that's actually quite close. It's his great-grandfather. Now, Albert now owns that to this day, which his mother bought the land and the, the ruins back in the 70s, I think. She was here in Newport on numerous occasions. So that was a great day, and it was wonderful to be here for that special occasion. Now, tomorrow, Paddy's Day itself, there's going to be a local parade at half three in the afternoon, so I'm looking forward to that. I was never anywhere else for Patrick's Day really before, except in my hometown. And so I'll be looking forward to seeing this very much so. So it's a very busy weekend here in Newport. And a lot of great people have come from Newport. And there's, they're always, they're great people here for organising things and great communities and everything. So lovely to hear your voice. And I'm sure we'll be hearing lots from you in the near future. It's a Spanish lullaby. Sorry, no, it's not a Spanish lullaby. It's an Irish lullaby, of course. Um, that's yesterday's drink taking over the brain there. A belated happy St. Patrick's Day to you, Philip O'Connor, and your many minions. From me, the man with a voice like a creamy Irish coffee... Some Murray. There you go. Just a little taste of the crack that was going on for St. Patrick's Day over beyond on Lemur. So uh, you can find that on the App Store for Apple and for Android and that kind of thing. And do get involved there because it's a great old platform. It's um, as You can obviously guess, given the fact that I make podcasts every week, for, uh, that it's a fantastic way to communicate with people and getting involved there. And it's very quick. You don't have to type anything. You can throw an old picture in there if you want as well. But I find it really a great entertaining platform and a very engaging platform as well because uh, you'll see on TikTok and a lot of that kind of thing you know the video just blows by and you know you're just getting stuck into it that way but audio is a little bit different you have to listen to what people are saying and by god will you be doing well to listen to what's being said on the episode, this episode of the podcast lads I have two interviews coming up for you right in a little while you're going to hear from Ronan Sheehan now Ronan is from Cork originally and I got in touch with him because he's part of the Gaelic football club over in Cambodia of all places and they're currently running a fundraiser trying to get a team of Cambodian Gaelic footballers to Derry for the World Games which are taking place this summer, right? Now, it's a thing that's very dear to me because uh, a friend of mine from Derry or from Limavady recently passed away and I know that there's efforts to get teams from Sweden to go there. He used to live over here in Vorbe on the west coast of Sweden and I would love to get over there and I'd also love to see Ronan's boys and girls from Cambodia getting over there as well but they're going to need help and they're going to need fundraising but his personal story as well, lads, I'm, you know, you'll remember if you've been listening to this podcast from the very beginning, I've always said that there's no such thing 
as an ordinary Irish person abroad. And every week I get to talk to absolutely extraordinary Irish people and Ronan is one of them and that's coming up, right? But before we do that, we're going to check in again in Nashville with Claire Cunningham. A few weeks ago, just after Christmas, I think it was, we spoke to Claire. You'll remember she's the singer and songwriter from Ireland who moved moved over here to Sweden, played with a hard rock band, had great success. And then she said, no, no, this is not for me. I'm heading to America. I'm a go west young woman, as they would have said. Headed to Nashville, right? The center, the mecca, if you like, for music and for songwriting in America. And she said, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. And ladies and gentlemen, make it she has. Uh, on St. Patrick's weekend there recently, she finally got, not finally, because this girl is making big breakthroughs all the time, but she got a huge breakthrough when she was asked to perform at the Grand Old Opry. And for anybody who's involved in music, not just country music, but in music or song, Songwriting or anything else like that, uh, it's a huge opportunity. It's a huge honour to be asked to play there. And of course, Claire was given that honour on St Patrick's weekend. Not only that, she got to meet her idol Garth Brooks, and she appeared a few years ago in an RTE documentary talking about how great he was. Got to meet him, having the chats with Garth, and she also got to play with Steve Earle, who is lads. I'm just unbelievably jealous, and I texted her as soon as I heard how jealous I was because Steve is a uh, what they call. I think the nickname he used to have was the Hardcore Troubadour. This is a man who's been addicted to everything under the sun, but in now sober, but an absolutely brilliant writer and songwriter and musician and collector of stories and songs. And for me with Claire, you know, it's like that story about the golfer, uh, Gary Player. Uh, there was a journalist once said to him, oh, you know, you seem to have very good luck at the moment. And he said, yeah, the, hardest, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And that's Claire Cunningham, because you can look at her in the circle of light on the stage in the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville and think, oh, yeah, that young one's very lucky. I'll tell you what, if you only knew the amount of work that went into getting Claire onto the stage there at the Grand Ole Opry, uh, you wouldn't be thinking she's lucky at all. You'd be thinking this is the most well-deserved thing. So I gave her a call the other day on WhatsApp because we just had to have a little chat about this. And sure, here it is. Enjoy, and I'll be back in a little while with Ronan Sheehan. Claire Cunningham, of all the people I know, all the Irish people I know all over the world, I think you had the best St. Patrick's weekend of everybody. Can you tell me how you ended up playing in the Grand Old Opry in uh, Nashville this weekend? Well, uh, hello, yes, and absolutely, I, I would agree with you. It, it was definitely the best weekend and best night in my life. Um, so actually, as it happens, Brenda Willis, who runs the Irish Music City Fest, um, had been looking at doing it again after the pandemic. And she actually didn't have any venue secured. They had all the sponsorships and different things and that and the other. And then it just literally came as a, I want to say a godly intervention that the Opry was free and open and they partnered up and then she got to do the Music City Irish Fest out in the plaza um, where they flew over a lot of Irish musicians, had all the dancing, had all the tents set up and then I was asked if I would like to do a debut in the Opry as well for the night time. So um, I just, I couldn't believe it when, when she kind of said it to me at first. 
Um, so all all the dreams have come true now. <laughs> can, can you explain to people, there can hardly be anybody listening to this who doesn't understand the significance of the Grand Ole Opry in songwriting and in country music. But when you moved there specifically to Nashville, this was always one of the goals, wasn't it? To stand in that circle of light on that stage. Like, I wasn't even lying when when... I had like I don't do these vision or dream boards anymore. I have a different way of living now. But years, I mean, a good like seven, eight years ago, I had a dream board with the Grand Ole Opry right stuck in the middle of of it. And it's, I think it's it's there's not a single person that's either in country music or or, or outside because you know I'm not really a country music. Yeah, you know, artists, and I never thought something like that would ever come into reality for me because of that. But it literally has been a life, like a lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. You know, you you see it, you hear about it, especially. You know, I don't think people realize that Irish people have such a correlation with with country music. You know, because we really do. We have our own scene. Um, and Nashville is just one of those prevalent places that, you know, that is always on the bucket list for people to even go and visit. So to actually go and be a part of one of the most prestigious venues, in my mind, um, you know, it's, it's just... It's truly wonderful, really, seriously. Yeah. I always thought of country music as just being Irish ballads with better hats, but there you go. That's my own sort of ignorant view of these <laughs> things, you know. Come here to me. I, I, I saw, like, and again, because, you know, I've been following you on Instagram for years since you lived in Sweden here and that, and I saw the pictures yeah. and I was just blown away. But when you got there on the day, right, because you were also, we mm-hmm. get onto the fact that you ended up singing with Steve Earle, who, of course, a brilliant country musician, <laughs> but has also made an album with the Pogues. Sure. They appeared in a lot of tracks on Copperhead Road. He's written a brilliant book. Yeah of short stories called Doghouse Roses really intelligent and, and talented man what was it like when you arrived there because you know you arrived there to, uh, like do they sort of treat you like a superstar straight away or it, is it oh, oh there you go there's a bathroom get in there and get changed girl <laughs> <laughs> no it's insane I've never been I've never felt more looked after in my entire career from the second that you literally so in normal circumstances right you I you wouldn't be playing a plaza outside before but because of the Music City Irish Fest I was Mm. so what they did then they assign you to your own dressing room but prior to getting into that they took me straight off the stage at the out from outdoors and then took me around in a cart, which is why I didn't park around where I was meant to park. Every artist has their own parking spot reserved for the day. And so I didn't know that. <laughs> so when I got around, then, you know, I had my photographer and video guy. And you get, you know, you get the shots underneath the artist entrance. And then you walk in and you're greeted by one of the personnel who checks ID. So you're only allowed to get in that way if you're an artist or you're on the working crew list. Mm. From that second on, there's a lady who shows you to your room, gets you whatever, you know, little drinks or snacks and whatnot. And from that moment on, you're literally like there's personnel coming in to grab you for sound checks, for uh, little, you know, social post stuff. 
but I mean, like down to the the sound guys, like they take your instrument for you. They set everything up for it. Like unbelievable treatment. And then because it was my debut, a beautiful gentleman of 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 a staff member realized that I didn't park in my spot and went out and unscrewed the metal plate and took it into me. Po- uh, gifted me the poster as well and some uh, booklets and the little sheet of paper that the host had asked me interviews like he he collected it all for me and handed it to me personally at my dressing room then nice. so I mean it's just yeah it is and and you know I, I've heard in the past from other artists that I know and from other people who played there that it's just a really true there's something so magic and special about the the, the way it runs and the staff and I can totally attest to that now like they just you're you are like pure little royalty to them and it's just so 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 humbling and just beautiful does that make you more nervous because let's face it Claire you've done thousands of, if not tens of thousands of shows in your <laughs> life now right but you're standing there in your beautiful green dress your guitar's there it's all tuned it's all ready to go and then you're going out on the stage was that the most nervous you've ever been or was this just you know the, the Claire Cunningham that we all know and love from seeing in bars all over Sweden and Ireland and America <laughs> yeah it's funny because Garth Brooks actually asked me the same question <laughs> I'm in good company and, and I'm not Oh, I'm not even kidding you. He he was like, were you nervous? And I said, Do you know what? I'll, I'm going to be totally honest. I really wasn't nervous. I just had a little more excitement in me than than maybe the average day. So I was not nervous only because I playing in front of crowds is not an issue for me. My biggest concern was just being able to walk on stage in the heels and the dress and then... Just for it to all go okay, you know, because I've, I've, I've done that song so many times that I'm so comfortable with it. But there was, I definitely had, like, it. there was a, a, a little bit of nerves, but healthy nerves. Like, yeah. not like, oh my God, I'm going to die right now. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. So, yeah, no, there definitely was um, more than just my average kind of you know, show. Because <laughs> yeah. no, I watched the clip there that you put up and you walked out there and you were sort of joking about, you know, somebody I think was making a comment of your appearance <laughs> and you being in America and you were going, okay, if you want to marry me, I'll get a green card out of a kind of thing. So you so, seemed really relaxed getting up there. Yeah, well, what happened was, and I thank God um, they shouted that because my pedal that I was using wasn't where I needed it to be on yeah. For my foot to use it so then i had to pull it in closer when i pulled it in closer the power cord came out oh, Jesus. so that's why you see me fidget so not only is this the biggest moment of my life then that had to happen and then i was like oh god oh god oh god in my brain i'm like my brain is screaming at me huh. so somebody thank god in the audience uh shouted uh, marry me so as soon as i got back up from fixing the pedal I said well if you've got a green card then yeah <laughs> <laughs> it really so broke the ice like yeah. Loosened up. yeah it definitely did because there was in my in my mind that felt like an eternity what was going on but yeah. in reality it wasn't but you know it's just it was just one of them things true Claire fashion you know so um but no I was very very comfortable I think I can definitely hear it in my voice in the first kind of few lines that I am a little like, ooh, 
Yeah, yeah. You know, because it is only that one shot, really. You know, like if normally I could sing for hours and it'd be grand, but like it, it was, and I forgot that I'd even have to. I didn't even plan to speak. Yeah. I didn't like uh, with everything that was going on. I didn't even for a second think, "Oh my god, I need to actually like." introduce myself and the song and yeah. I didn't even think about doing that so that, that was totally off the cuff as well along with the interview at the end I was like oh my god oh shit I have to speak now as well like you know it was <laughs> but it was an incredible performance and like I say Aaron and McCree is a song that you've written and you performed it yeah. everywhere all over America so you're really comfortable with it you yeah. know, when you step off stage after something like that Claire there's often a thing I find when I come home from like the Olympics or the World Cup that there's a little bit of deflation there but you walked straight into meeting Garth Brooks and then performing again later on with Steve Earle. So the day just got better for you. Yeah. What was Garth Brooks doing there? Yeah. Oh, I'm not even kidding you. So, and this this was another one of those moments where three months ago, when Brenda, who was organising the whole thing, actually messaged me and said, listen, here's a list of all the Opry members um, there is the chance that we can put in a request for you to maybe sing with one of them, um, but I can't guarantee it. So I said, well, sure, I don't even have to look. You know, I'd like Garth Brooks. He's like my childhood uh, idol. And I said, but not to say that, like, and uh, in the messages, you can see it, like Steve Earle, Vince Gill, or somebody else would be really cool too. Yeah. So I thought nothing more of that because I didn't hear back and it was four days or three days till the actual date. And I got a text message from Brenda going, I have news. And then she said, Steve Earl has rearranged his schedule to make it for the night. And he'd love you to sing Galway Girl with him. Ah, and geez. I was like, yeah, yeah, let me think about that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh I, I made up my mind, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have me twice. Exactly. So, I, I, um, yeah. oh, yeah, wild. <laughs> and, and did you know the only thing I haven't seen from your performance was that performance of Galway Girl? Was that with a full band or was it just yourself and Steve? Or, it or was. how was that? Yeah, it's actually, so I, I think I just did that one last night. I don't have the full, full footage. I'm trying to get it off them, but a yeah. few friends got some 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 clips there. Um, it is, so they, the Opry have their own band. Yeah, the house band, um, yeah. And the house band, exactly. And so uh, play, we played it with them. And so yeah, it was magnificent. But then the whole thing with Garth was, uh, so nobody, nobody had any idea that he was there, not even Brenda. Yeah. So the only person that knew was Lauren Elena, the last artist of the night. Mm. And word had it, I was still in my dressing room and I felt the ur ur urge, eh, can't even talk, the urge to go out on the side of the stage to watch Lauren's performance. And somebody said, there's, there's a surprise guest apparently coming on. And I look over and I see the cowboy hat, right? And I'm like, huh. And it's dark side stage. And then somebody says, oh, it's Garth Brooks. And I thought they were joking. Yeah, somebody's winding me and up And then <laughs> literally, because only because of what had gone down like three months before. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's Garth Brooks and Trishy Yearwood. And he's standing right beside me. And I'm like, do I say something or not? And then 
So he takes off his hat. Somebody was introducing people. And then he goes, hello, Miss Claire. Where are you from? And like, because I'm so used to dealing with everybody here. I'm like, oh, I'm from Ireland. And he goes, I know that, Miss Claire. We're in Ireland. And then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but oh, we had a good chat. And then he and he literally was like, so, yeah, were you nervous? And then he said, because I'm a little bit nervous now, like going on. And I thought he was joking, but mm. I don't think he was. So lovely, humble man. And Steve is beautiful as well. Oh, my God. Like, I'm just... You know, these are these are names that people know all over. But I'll tell you what, they're just so humble and kind. And that's what I love in with any artist. And anyway, mm. I'm, I'm, you know, we're we're of that kind of mindset and I would be, too. And it's just beautiful to know that, like, yeah, yeah. these guys just they have it made, but they're just they never lost their humbleness. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. I mean, you, you can tell everybody, but like, I, I sent you a text message saying how jealous I was of the idea. That, you know, I was delighted for you, <laughs> yeah. obviously. But just the thought of getting, you know, yeah. if you get this up there with Steve Earle and then Gareth Brooks tore it up. I mean, did you buy any lottery oh. tickets on the way home or anything? Because by Jesus, girl, that must have been the luckiest <laughs> night of your life. Like, Well, I'll tell you what, I, I had no, I couldn't be emotional. Um, because I was, I, I literally hadn't the capacity, my body didn't have the capacity to take in what was happening. Not only that, but I had been, you know, I was, I was talking a lot to the other artists behind stage and and stuff. And it was, it kind of like one of those moments where you're like, this is real, but it feels like I'm never going to wake up from this. And then, so I wake up the next morning and I just started crying uncontrollably. Like I'm not even getting, I think all the emotion of everything came into me, but you know what? I, 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 I sat down and I thanked the Lord because everything I've ever asked for, for that one night happened. And I, and, and, and I think, and you'll all see it when I do post the actual footage, when the host actually says to me, well, God has a good sense of humor. I think they, they knew because they got the documentary I was in in Ireland. They knew Garth was going to be there and they didn't know that I knew. Yeah. So I think it was just a very, they were kind of like, oh, yeah. Oh, a, a very subtle hint there altogether. Yeah. Because you appeared uh, right. in, a, in a documentary right. talking about Garth Brooks and how much, uh, how a big a fan you were oh, and that yeah. kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Come here to me. When I you was on my first hamster, Garth. <laughs> Did you tell him that as well? I say he loved that, you know. But listen, when those tears yeah. came, Claire, right? I just wanted to ask you, were they tears of joy or were they tears because you think to yourself, ah, Jesus, it's going to be so hard to top that? No, it was pure joy. Because um, I know I'm never going to top that. There's nothing I wouldn't put a past in my yet. life to come. I well, hey, maybe an arena. But you know what? Here's the difference, right? So I could do a bigger venue. Say if I were to play in an arena somewhere, mm. nothing is ever going to compare to the person, personable, yeah. like night that that ended up being. From the from the second I walked in, from the way I was treated to all the th- like they make such a big deal out of it for yeah. you that. It's I it's it's a combination of the entire night in its entirety rather than just the performance. It's mm. everything that surrounded it. And then from my childhood hero yeah. to show up, like I'm sorry, and no, that nothing. I've now said it. It's been the best night of my entire life, and mm. I've lived 
taking a longer than some people think. Um, so it would, I'd be hard pressed for anything to come very close to it. Yeah. But, you know, it was just, but it was, it was tears of pure joy. And I know from doing big events and from doing things that sometimes there is a deflation afterwards mm. and that once the high ends, but I, I can only be grateful for what I've just experienced. I'll never, I'll never allow anything to, you know, because I went straight back to quote unquote normal life after, yeah. but I don't think things will be normal. I think I've, I've got a new, like just, mm. Oh, fire in me or something, mm. you know? Does that change? Appearing at the Grand Old Opry, being on stage with Steve Earle, having a few words with uh, Trisha Yearwood and, and with Garth Brooks, does that yeah. change your status in Nashville as a professional musician, as a professional songwriter? Do you think this will open doors for you or do you think you're kind of going to have to just go back and keep practising your craft? I know you were in the studio since. Were you in the studio again yesterday already, yeah. weren't you? So that's yeah. only a couple of days yeah, afterwards and you're straight back to the grind yeah. kind of thing. But do you think oh, it will yeah, make two, a difference? Two days after, yeah. Um, I think it will give me leverage um, to mm. to to continue on to the next step. Mm. That's what I think it'll do. And um, because now I'm looking for a team, like I can't no longer do this myself. Like yeah. I've, I'm 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 past the point of being able to run my brand to the best of my abilities. Like I'm trying, but mm. I'm I'm really stretched thin. And even the Opry couldn't believe that it was me they were dealing with and not. They kept going, oh, and have somebody on your team contact us. I was like, you're talking to her. Yeah, you're talking to <laughs> the whole like, social media manager, the team. whole lot. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's just me, myself and I. And I don't think people realize how many hats I kind of wear, yeah. which I'm absolutely fine doing that. But I just, I don't, I, I think the next step will be, no, so... No, as as with anything in life, I'm human, and so was everybody else. I'm not going to allow that to tear, you know, anything I do. But I think it'll just give me a bit more leverage for maybe possibly getting, hmm. like, you, you're just taking maybe a little more seriously than yeah. if, like, it's not that because talent will get you so far, but credentials to an unknown person when they're reading a bio, it'd be like, oh, she's done the opera. Well, then let's maybe check it out rather yeah, yeah. than you know what I mean. So. Yeah. It's it's an unfortunate way that this life runs, but I think that's with everything, with whatever profession. It's like they want to know what experience, who who you've sang with. Like if I have quotes by artists, like you know, you're just taken a little more seriously. Yeah. I think. I mean, it's a shame, you know, but in so a way, that maybe. that's how people put you in context. You know, I mean, the people that I've worked for in right. journalism, and if I say, oh yeah, I've been on the BBC and I've worked for the Reuters news, everybody goes, oh yeah, they take you. It doesn't matter that you're some spoofer from the north side of Dublin. They still take you more seriously <laughs> just because. Now, not that you're yeah. a spoofer, Claire. I'm saying that, that that's regarding me. <laughs> No, but I totally know what you mean. But what's the next step now? For Because you walk away from that, and it's lovely to hear that you have that attitude, that, you know, despite being in the, among the stars over the weekend, that your feet are still on the ground. But have you got a concrete, is the next thing to sort of maybe find some sort of representation so that you can stick to what you're good at, writing the songs, performing, doing these partnerships, and then maybe get somebody else, yeah. you know, involved in the sales side? That's the next thing, is it? Yeah, I desperately just need somebody who can manage and maybe like touring agent, booking agent, that kind of thing. Because like I've got all the social stuff down and, you know, as best I can, I'm doing every single email and replies and stuff. But yes, I think that's really the next step forward is to just get 
um, somebody who has a foot in the door better, like some just management tour stuff. And I am in talks with some certain few people. So it will happen. But for me, it has to be, it's very much a trust issue with me a lot because when you're handing, like I am the brand and I am my business and it's my baby and I'm not, I don't do this for money. So if you're coming in and wanting to, you know, change what's going on just to get more money, that's not really mm. why I do what I do. And so it's, it, it'll have to be somebody who, who really wants to like develop my art and I'm not going to sell out to sell out. Yeah. So I've, I, I will always remain intact, but my music has a message hmm. and it may not be to everybody's taste of what I talk about and what I sing about, but I have to say true to what I know feels good and it's not selling out, you know, just writing for the sake of writing. It has to, I want to help people like yeah. my music. I want to make an impact. So, hmm. yeah. So, but I believe it will happen when it needs to, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, ever since the time we first got to know each other, when you first moved over here to Sweden and you were playing with the rock band Thunder Mother and you've taken control of your <laughs> own career and it's just, you know, to see somebody realising their dreams and it's not through somebody just picking your, like it's not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory here where somebody just pulled your name out of a hat. <laughs> this is hard work, girl, and I'm delighted to see it paying off and I hope that in a couple of weeks' time or a couple of months' time that we'll be talking about the next thing that Claire Cunningham has achieved over there. But for now, Claire, <laughs> thanks so much for talking to me this evening. Oh, listen, thank you so much. And I, I I really, you know, I adore anybody who takes the time and gives a platform for me to ever, you know, show this evolution that's going on. And I'm just grateful to everybody who's continuing on this, this long and wild ride that I am on because it's, well, you <laughs> it's know what certainly they say, a great one. Good people deserve good things and you're the best people, Claire. No, well, you are too. You know, you you give us you give us this uh, platform, and you're out there helping others. So, you know, it takes one to know one. Exactly, exactly. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks a million, Philip. You're you're an absolute star. Goramago. Augustoff Algerot. There you go. The wonderful, the magical Claire Cunningham there, right? Now, under normal circumstances, I would swipe a little bit of audio. And sure, who knows? I might play out with one of Claire's songs again, right? But I want you to go to her Instagram page, at Claire Official, C-L-A-R-E-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L, right? And there you will find all her performances, her introduction, the little story she told there about having to fix the pedal and that kind of thing. You'll find all of that in all its glory over there. And just get an idea of what it was. I might swipe one of the pictures for the social media post for this particular podcast. But uh, yeah, it was just magnificent altogether to see uh, to see Claire doing that and to see somebody doing so well over there. But as I said, you know, it's nothing to do with luck, lads. It's all to do with hard work. Speaking of hard work, starting a Gaelic football club or a hurling club anywhere outside of Ireland is also very, very hard work. And a couple of weeks ago, I sat down to have a chat with Ronan Sheehan. Uh, it was actually a chap who listens to another part, uh, podcast I do. I do an Irish and Sweden podcast that you'll find on the same on the same feed. The feed's called Arrowman in Stockholm. You'll find Irish and Sweden there, the Global Gale, Premier Swedes, and the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast. If you want to support it, patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm, right? A five a month, lads, right? There are places in Europe where you can't get a coffee for it, and you certainly can't get a pint of stout for it in most of these places anymore. But if you're to throw that few bob my way, it will enable me to keep going and making these big, long podcasts to keep you going, whether you're on the commute to work or on the train to wherever you're going or on the bus or in the gym 
gym doing your biggest long workout or walking the legs off the poor dog right uh, so if you can get in there onto patreon.com forward slash our man in stockholm and support it but yeah it was a lad who listened to the irish in sweden podcast and he has now moved out i think his wife is a diplomat actually and he's moved out to cambodia and he bumped into this uh, cork man uh, from Cantork. And uh, he said, you got to talk to this guy. He said, they have a Gaelic football club over here. And he knew I was into the guy and that kind of thing. And as I've said so often before, it's like peeling an onion. You start talking to somebody from Ireland and their story is always incredible. No such thing as an ordinary Irish American abroad, lads. So look, I'm not going to tell you too much about him because he is more than capable of telling you all about himself. So here he is. This is Ronan Sheehan and uh, the whole story of the GA in Cambodia and the support that they're going to need. They're going to need your help to get them to the World Games and I'll include the link to their GoFundMe after this in the show notes. But let's have a listen to Ronan first and he can explain why you should be supporting them. I suppose uh, you probably get sick of people asking you this question, Ronan, but what on earth has you in Cambodia on the other side of the world from Cork in Ireland? I tell you now, Philip, I'm sick shy to hearing that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, though, and, and it's kind of something I, I, I've... I guess I've had to reflect on a bit recently myself. I, I, I didn't really kind of really reflect on it before, but um, yeah, I left, I left Ireland in 2000 and about 2011. I, I used to be a retained firefighter actually back in Canturk. Uh, I'm from Canturk, County Cork. Um, and when I left school, uh, I went straight into the fire service. I was very lucky um, that I, nobody wanted to be a firefighter at the time. It was the height of the boom. Um, and retained fire services at the time, it was just seen as a way of making a bit of extra dosh. So at the time, they could not fill that position. And I got in there delighted. So um, I was in there from 18. And obviously, uh, as the years were by, the, the recession hit and there was the big banking crisis of 2008. And the first uh, things that were caught, obviously, were public sector wages and, and stuff. Um, and as a young, as a young angsty young fella as I was, um, I didn't really take kindly to that at all. Um, so I kind of got the hump about it, and eventually I said, "You know what? Fuck it, I'm 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 out of here." You know, um, but I didn't quite have the qualifications that other people would have when they were leaving. They all have degrees and stuff behind me. I didn't have it, so I made my way over to to England, and I was working in a residential home here for uh, autistic children. And from here, I made it to France and I was working in the ski resorts. And from there, I bumped on into Italy. And while I was in Italy, I got a message from a friend of mine and she sent me on a TEFL course that was on Koh Samui in Thailand. And she said, I see you're on your travels. Would you be interested? Would this be something that would interest you? And it was something that I never thought of um, at all. Um. And I said, fuck it, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like I was kind of doing everything on a whim anyway at that point, you know? So I said, go on, we'll do it. I scraped enough money together and I got to Kosamui and I did the TEFL course. And while I was doing the TEFL course, uh, I was thinking to myself, I really do like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also just kind of getting to Asia. I'd always been fascinated with Asia. Like it's, I mean, look, you're a young fella growing up in Canturk in, Ireland, in, in, in County Cork. Uh, the most exotic thing you might get is a bounty bar, you know? Um, so this was, exotic as it got you know 
Um, so off I headed, and then I was thinking to myself, right, I'm going to need work. I don't really, I don't have the cash to kind of be um, glamping around or kind of traveling around. I'm going to need to actually work, you know, it cost me everything I had to get there. And um, I was speaking with the with the course directors and they're like, you know, your best bet now if you need work straight away, like would probably be to head to Cambodia. And I was thinking to myself, like Cambodia, Cambodia, where have I heard Cambodia before, you know? Um, and so what it is was my brothers and sisters, I've got four brothers, and two sisters, and they all live or have lived in America at one point. Um, and a brother of mine owns a bar in Lowell, which would be the second largest, which houses the second largest Khmer population outside of um, outside of Cambodia. The first would be Long Beach in California. Um, so I would have been exposed to the community there. And as a young fellow, when I was very young, I remember going to a, a high school or a middle school, actually, with an aunt of mine who was working in a middle school there. And I went in, and as I said, me and my bounty bars, my cans of lilt around Cantor was as exotic as I got. And um, I went to the school. There's all these young brown kids, you know, like, uh, I know it's probably the wrong term to be using, but like as a young fella going in there, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, geez, look at all these kids. They're completely different color to what I am. And, and a lot of them would have just gotten over as well, you know. Um, and as you would have known, that, that was in 94 or 95, I believe, when I went to that school and um, a lot of these were just fresh off the boat, you know, and they were carrying, carrying the scars of, of consistent warfare and, 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 and landmines that are all over Cambodia, you know, and I didn't quite compute it, you know, I, it didn't kind of register with me at all at the time. And then when that lady was saying to me, Cambodia will be a good bet for you. And I was like, Cambodia, where is it? And I was like, oh yeah, it was that school. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll go there. I'll try it, you know, and, and so off I went, I uh, got on a plane and it was really bizarre, actually. I The first year I got to Cambodia, like when I touched down in Phnom Penh, was the first year they restarted the water festival. So there's a water festival here called Umto. And Umto uh, celebrates the, okay, so there's the Mekong River, which is one of the biggest rivers in the world. And then there is the Tony Sap. So the Tony Sab is the biggest lake in Southeast Asia and the runoff, the river runoff that comes down and flows down through Phnom Penh, right? And the Tony Sab and the Mekong meet uh, right in the middle of Phnom Penh. And there's a real strange phenomena. I think it's the only one uh, in the world where it happens, where actually the water, where those two rivers meet, the water reverses uh, at the beginning of the month of November. Um, so they celebrate a water festival around. It's also kind of the 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 end of the the rainy season as well, you know. Um, so it was their first year hosting it in in Phnom Penh for a few years at that point because what had happened a few years prior to that when they hosted it, there was a massive stampede on a bridge which killed um, a couple of hundred people. So they they knocked it on the head for a few years. Like it's a massive celebration. What happens is Phnom Penh has got. I something like three and a half million people in it. Um, and during the water festival, that swells by another two million, you know, wow. um, two to three million. It's it, there's a serious uh, exodus will be leaving. I don't know what it will be incoming, but yeah. So I get there, I get off the plane. Um, I just come out of Bangkok. Bangkok is quite developed. 
Um, and look, as you know, airports are generally in, in dodgy areas, you know, so I'm coming through this dodgy area of a, of a country that's not very well developed. And I'm kind of having a look out the window and I'm going, Jesus, what have I got myself into here now, you know? And as we get into town, man, there is people belching out of buildings, like, you know what I mean? And just the place is heaving. There is police barricades everywhere blocking off roads. The police are manning those barricades. They're all hammered. They've got bags of cans with them um, at the barricades. And I am, my head is going 360 on a swivel. And I'm going, what the hell is this? Um, it took me a couple of days to acclimatize to it. And then after that, I just kind of started falling in love with the place. What brought me there? I'm not quite sure. Uh, what's keeping me here? There's something and I can't quite put my finger on that either. Um, well, it is. It's a magical place. The Kingdom of Wonder is an, an apt name. I was going to say, it sounds an awful lot like Cantorque when you're describing how you arrived there, you know, but um, <laughs> when you do get there to a place like that, right, obviously there's two things I'm picking up from you there, Ro, right? One is that you were extremely angry about the whole, you know, the whole recession and the fact that you were your job was forced in the fire, firing line, even though you had no hand act or part in the banking collapse, but the, your, your pocket was the first one the hand was dipped into. And the other thing is, you don't seem to have any fear, my friend. You seem to be happy enough to just, right, that's it, I'll take off. It, does that have anything to do with the fact that, you know, as a firefighter, you would have been trained in all sorts of things, first aid. You have to have the confidence and the skills to make your own decisions. Was that any help to you whatsoever? Do you think that sort of contributed to the way you are today at all? Yeah, Um Jesus, now you're asking me some nice questions. Um, there you go. Well, we got a bit of crack out this year, hey? That's it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, as a young fella, as a as a very young fella, I was actually kind of quite the opposite. I was I was a very kind of I, I wouldn't say I was withdrawn. I was obviously I was very kind of uh, loud and outspoken anyway. But I would have been very nervous and scared of stuff, you know what I mean? Um I would have been quite a a, a frightful child. And I don't know when that kind of changed as I got older. I was, as I was getting older, I, I guess as as a teenager, I really started kind of changing, you know, and I was I was getting into music that my brothers were listening to, like like which would have been grunge and stuff. And I was then getting into that kind of angsty teen um mode, you know. Um and I don't know what it was. Like everyone else in school was kind of was kind of um as I said, it was the height of the boom and everyone was gearing towards going to college and doing apprenticeships and nothing really stood out to me in college, you know, um, nothing really kind of went, this is what you should be doing. And I really didn't fancy doing apprenticeships. I'd done work with my father. My father was a, a block layer. Um, and I just found it desperately. Uh, he, we used to work in the countryside, you know, and it used to be desperately boring. It'd just be me, him and County Sound on the radio playing the same five songs from the eighties over and over and over. Um, you know, the mixer becomes your best friend at that point. Um. so but I was kind of looking at myself kind of what do I want out of life and I didn't want to make money like everyone was just kind of really focused and hell-bent on making money at the time you know and Tommy Tiernan going jeez it didn't suit us at all you know <laughs> and it, it it definitely didn't suit me either uh, I didn't really sit well with me I was kind of leaning towards left-wing politics I don't even like to use the term left-wing anymore because it's become so so blurred, um, but like, you know, I was like, that's not what I want to do. I kind of want to do something where I'm helping people or or, or, or something, you know, and, and actually what had happened in the summer of my leaving certs, 
uh, a cousin of mine got into a, a very fairly serious car accident um, where one of his, there was three of them in two separate cars um, and one of them died and my cousin was left paralyzed. He almost died and his friend was left with lifelong disabilities as well. He's had pins put into his leg um, it's affected his ability to work and stuff. And I remember feeling so kind of helpless around that time. Like, geez, what could I have done? I mean, of course, you can't do anything, can you? Like, it's just one of those free things. But what could I have done? What could I have done? You know, and uh, one of my best friends, he's, his father would have been the substation officer in, in, in the Cantor Fire Station. And, you know, he was telling me, like, oh, it was so bad out there and daddy, daddy, da. And then it was starting to click with me. Jeez, that's what I could be doing. I could... I could get into the fire brigade, you know. Um, I actually grew up near that fire station as well. So I would have implanted the seed. Um, then I went for it, yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, I come from a big family as well. I come from a family of seven. And kind of growing up as well, I was always blah, blah, blah's brother or blah, blah, blah's sister. And to me, that always felt like, oh, I'm someone's brother and sister. I'm not kind of being recognized as my own person. I'm always such and such as brother. Um, and that kind of that kind of wore thin on me that started to grind on me a small bit. And I was just kind of like, oh, I'm going to start forging my own path a small bit. They all went to America. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to, I'm going to get into the fire service or whatever. Remember my father kind of saying to me, you know, geez, you'll have to do this. You'll have to do this. He's trying to talk me out of it. And of course, the more he tried to talk me out of it, the more I, I, I took my heels in about it. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> um, and I went for it and, and I did, I got it. Um, I was the youngest firefighter in Cork County by a long shot at that time when I was, I was 18 when I got in, I was 20, 24 or 25 when I left it. And I was still the youngest in the County by a long shot after, <laughs> after five years in it. Like, um, but Jesus, yeah, I loved it. Um, it was exciting. It was, it was, it was, what I'd wanted out of you getting to help people. It was tragic. It was, there was many things with it, but yeah, you're right. That, that really, that job really was the making of me in many ways. Like it really, you have to kind of rely on your instinct sometime and, 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 and kind of just go for stuff. Um, and then, as you said, as I started getting angry at the situation that was going on, I'm like, well, I've just spent five years like responding to a pager at a whim, you know, it could be three o'clock in the morning and I'm jumping out of bed. I don't know what I'm getting out of bed to go to um and just going for it i mean that seems to be my life now anyway why can't this continue so i said let's get out there let's go see the world and and yeah i've just done things on a whim i've i said it to myself i got up enough times in the middle of the night and come home fine why can't i do it on a, on a, in a different way you know and it, i guess it has kind of stood to me since yeah when you look at your brothers and sisters, Ro, and that the fact that, you know, we are, the reason I started the podcast called The Global Gale is because all of us know people who live abroad. There isn't a single Irish person who doesn't have anybody <laughs> close to them who lives abroad. It's that simple, you know. But when you yeah. looked at your brothers and sisters when they moved away, I found sometimes that people resent me because I left Ireland when I did in 1999, you know. Uh, some of the people who stayed at home did that. Did you feel, how did you feel towards your brothers and sisters when you were growing up with them, you looked up to them, they introduced you to Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and all these bands, and then they moved abroad. Did that change your relationship with them at all? Um. So, like, with my family as well, for example, I 
as one of seven, I'm the youngest and I'm also comfortably the youngest. I was comfortably the youngest in, in, the, in the fire service and I'm comfortably the youngest in my family as well. Um, my my father, Jesus, he's as old now. I couldn't even tell you how old he is, uh, but he's <laughs> he's in his 80s now, you know. Uh, my mother is not far off 80. If she's not 80 already, I'd be 35 myself now. Hmm. Uh, I'd be 36 tomorrow. Um, but um, my closest brother to me is eight years older than me, right? Like my oldest brother is, Jesus, old enough to be most people's father, you know. He'd be probably nearly mid-50s now, you know. Um. So, especially for the oldest brothers, I didn't really have a relationship as much with them anyway, because they'd already kind of been up and out of the house by the time I was kind of starting to be aware of what was going on around me, you know. But definitely some of the other brothers and sisters, geez, yeah, I used, they were heroes, of course, when I was growing up, um, as is generally the case. And yeah, I was heartbroken when they started moving away. Yeah, every time it was really, really, really difficult and I think when they moved away, I found it hard. And then I used to find it really, really hard also when they would come back for a visit. They would come back for a visit uh, for two weeks or whatever, three weeks. I would dread that last day having to say goodbye to me. I couldn't hold it together. You know, I'd be bawling, crying. Or, geez, if I wasn't bawling, crying in front of me, I was running off, pretending I was fine, and then bawling, crying somewhere else. Um, I used to be the same. I'd go visit them in America. And that last day, I couldn't that last day used to break me all the time, you know, um, did it change my relationship with them? Not, not so much. Uh, I, it did make me realize kind of how much I did love them and stuff, you know, but I, I, I never felt like I resented them or anything like kind of what you're mentioning. Um, one thing I would have found, all right, would have been some of the older brothers and sisters kind of, in their way, kind of trying to look out for me. But in my way, I wasn't accepting it too well. And to me, I felt like they were dictating at me from, from, from afar, you know? Um, like they didn't, I felt they didn't really understand who I was as a person. Ireland had kind of moved on quite a, a bit from what they were as, as kids, you know, and they were kind of looking from the outside in and trying to get a grasp of what it was like for me. And they were kind of missing the missing the mark completely. So I did feel maybe a bit of resentment towards that. Like, look, you're you're always over there in the Atlantic, trying to dictate how I should live my life. You don't even know the first thing about me, in in essence, you know. Mm. But no, no, no. I I don't think I ever felt like uh, resentment towards it. To me, it just felt normal because it was a it was a steady uh, stream out of the house ever since I was nay high. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you felt people feel resentful of you leaving. Um, I'm kind of lucky in that I've only, I used to get home quite a bit when I was in Europe, but since I've been in Cambodia, I haven't. I've only been home uh, once in the last eight and a half years. And that was about six years ago now. Um, but I remember the last time I was home, it was actually really quite nice. It was really easy. I found to kind of slip back into the the old uh, circles and the old, the old conversations and whatever else. And I, I didn't really feel that kind of uh, resentment that you're talking about. But again, I guess it could be a different generation kind of again, you know, where it's, yeah, yeah, where it's kind of accepted. Like, I think there's just there's certain people who sort of look at you and they go, okay, you don't have a right, you left here. You don't have a right to say things anymore. And it's one of the conversations that we'll be having now. Uh, there's a conversation coming up and we had one recently about voting rights for immigrants and that kind of thing and exactly how we fit into things, despite the fact that we haven't lived in Ireland for a long time. 
But come here to me. Would it not have been logical for you? The fact that your your brothers and sisters that you know they were in America, they were set up. One of them had a bar and everything else like that. Now you know, would that not have been the more logical move, or did you sort of consciously decide that no, I'm going the other direction. I don't. I want to become my own man, as you mentioned there. That's exactly it. Um, now, my family origins to America stretch way back. I would have had cousins who would have moved back there, I think, originally in the 50s. Um, and that's kind of where that connection started. Um, look, my brothers growing up, my brothers and sisters growing up in, in 80s recession Ireland and, and beginning of the 90s. And look, my dad was pushing them out the door. Like, there's nothing here for you. Get, get out to fuck. Like, Jesus, another young fella knocking around another miracle in a nappy there. Get out to fuck and free up some space in the house. Um, they all would have been pushed to America, you know. Um, I was, I was again, a unique in that I wasn't too pushed towards Ireland by my parents. In fact, my parents are trying to steer me more towards university. And I would have been one of the first, they would have been, in fact, I was the first, I reckon, that they were steering towards university, which kind of just shows you the, the change in the fortunes in the country. Like, they felt that there was a life here for me and they could, there, there was an education and stuff here for me and I didn't have to break my back to get it, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, I would have had the brothers and the sisters in my ear, kind of like when they were seeing that I wasn't maybe going to go to university and kind of, yeah, come come over, I've got the bar, we'll get you a job in the bar. Mm. Uh, come over here. I've got a construction business. Get in this. Come over here. Come over. There's this. The land of opportunity. Just look at us. We've done so well out of it, you know. But as I said, I was sick of being such and such as brother and such and such as sister. Um, and I used to visit him quite a bit in America. And it used to be the same thing. You know what I mean? Ah, you're Bimbar's brother. Ah, you're Catherine's brother. And I'm like, no, my name is Ron and I'm not Catherine's brother. You know, I'm my own fucking person you know mm -hmm. i think that really hit ahead when i was 17 i was getting my hair cut uh in in just some random barbers like in in boston i'm sitting there and the guy's cutting my hair and there's another guy sat getting his hair done next to me he's like where are you from and i'm like i'm from ireland what part of ireland cork he's like where in cork oh you won't know it lad he's like is it near mallow i'm like jesus is getting fucking weird uh, it's near Mallow. Is it Kent Turk? I'm like, what? And he's like, are you Finbar's brother? Oh, for fuck's sake! Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Like, um, and that was where I was resigning myself to, I'm not following these guys. I want to be my own part. I want to be known as me and not such and such as brother. So yeah, I would have been consciously fighting against it at one point for sure. I still am, to be honest. Who do people in Cambodia that you work with and that you hang out with, who do they know you as now? If I was to ask them, who is Ronan Sheehan? What do you think they'd say? Jeez, that langer. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's more than one person from Cork there, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, the lander never shuts the fuck up, that guy. Um, yeah, over here, I'd be known as the guy maybe who plays in a couple of bands in a couple of music bands and who's teaching and who is running a, a GA club over here. Uh, I'm certainly not somebody's brother or somebody's sister. And, and I, you know, I, there's almost no links back to, to, to my life back in Ireland over here. None whatsoever. In fact, I think most people over here couldn't give a flying fuck what my life was back in Ireland. And they just kind of take me for, who I am here and what I am now, you know. Um, whatever about Cambodians, like Cambodians be a small bit interested in your family, or like they're very family, family orientated, but they're also kind of just wondering about who you are now. 
and look the expat scene here or the foreigner scene i don't really like the word expat too much um but like that can be pretty fleeting people can be here and gone tomorrow and you, you kind of have to live in the now there isn't too much time to to delve into the past so they, they just see me as 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 the guy who plays in those bands who's writing music the guy who's who's running that club you know um anything else that they think about me they're keeping it behind their keeping it behind their backs and i i certainly don't want to find out but uh yeah that's probably how they'd see me now how did you i mean the whole reason that we got together the whole reason we were going to talk was to do with the fact that you've set up a a gaelic athletic association club there are you you playing football and hurling or is it just hurling or just sorry just football uh, just football, yeah. I look. There, there's been an awful lot of uh, mis misquotes, misrepresentations in the old uh, the old media back at home. Uh, look, at, set the, the record straight, lads. Set the record straight. <laughs> we'll send this to the local paper in Cantorque. <laughs> <laughs> the Sunday World Sheen bears all. Uh, page page three. Um, yeah. So for one, look. Yeah, my name is Ronan. If you were to translate to Irish, but I don't go by Ronan, I go by Ronan. Um, but yeah, I didn't set up the club. Uh, I would have been in the club as a player from maybe the second training session on. Um, who would have set up the club originally would have been a man from Tyrone, whose name is uh, Paddy Campbell or Patrick Campbell. Paddy's a bit of a strange one as well. Like Paddy, Jesus, like to give you an idea what Paddy does, Paddy just goes around the world setting up frigging GA clubs, basically. Fair play to a man after my own heart. I'm telling you now, like, uh, this fella, he was based in Malaysia for years. He's, he's quite heavily involved in the, the Malaysian GA club, Orang era. And he relocated to Cambodia in 2000, and I think maybe at the tail end of 2016, started 2017. And, of course, the first thing he did when he got off the plane in Siem Reap. So he, he relocated to Siem Reap, which would be in, up the north of Cambodia. That would be where the site of Angkor Wat Um and the first thing he did was he got on the blower trying to set up a, a GA club here, you know. So he reached out to Phnom Penh because the the Irish uh, community in Siem Reap would be pretty small, I, I would presume. Um, Phnom Penh, I'm not even sure what it is in Phnom Penh. It's, it's quite a scattered Irish community in this country, to be honest. A lot of fellas don't really want to reach out, which is which is fine. I'm, I'm sick of listening to the cunts anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, he reached out to Phnom Penh and he got onto a good friend of mine, uh, who would be Connor Wall? Connor Wall has been here for the last twenty odd years, very synonymous with sports as well and whatever else. So between the two of them, they started getting the club going. And uh, another woman called Jennifer Jennifer Ryan, she's another Cork woman, and she would have started on the the ladies' development team of it as well, right from the get go. You know, and between the three of them and and a few more heads, the club got going. Um. I didn't really start helping out behind the scenes until maybe 2019, about two years later. I, I was just strictly a player. And I started helping out in 2019. Uh, 2019 was a massive year for us. Uh, that was our first year bringing Cambodians abroad, I would say. Actually, no, it was our second year bringing Cambodians abroad to play with us in the, the regional tournaments. But it was our first silver where we won the, the Junior Cup in the men's for the Asian Gaelic Games and the South Asian Games. Um, by the end of that year, that was a big year where we really pushed the club in 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 a big way in terms of like, you know, growing it as social media, growing it in size, you know, everything that's involved in in running a club. And Connor, who had been kind of doing the main brunt of it at that time, uh, Paddy had since relocated back to uh, Malaysia. 
he was burnt out from it basically. Uh, I remember at the, the end of the end of year kind of banquet or, or party or shinning, whatever you want to call it. And he was, he called a few of us over. He's like, look, lads, I can't do this again next year. Uh, I'm just mentally and physically burnt out from it. Like he, he said, I don't want to stop either. He's like, is anyone going to do it? And I did the whole looking at everyone and Jesus, they were all looking back at me and everyone then started looking at their shoes and I'm in my head, fuck, 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 no one's going to do it. Like, no one's going to do it and I don't want to fucking have his heart broken after all the work he's put into it. So I put my hand up and I said, all right, go on, sure, I'll give it a go. And uh, I did it. So I took over in 2020 and as my luck would be, fucking in COVID, um, I put all these plans into place. Uh, we were going to go off to Vietnam in February. Uh-uh. Uh, we were going to have a big St. Patrick's Day games. Uh-uh. We were going to train. Nah, um, the whole thing shut down for two years. So it was a great start to, to life with it, you know. Um, but I kept it taking over in that meantime. Um, we would get periods of time where... Uh, restrictions were loosened and we could congregate and train and during those times we would we would get games in with the local AFL club we'd play international rules with them just whatever we could just keep kind of bobbing along as you know the big panic like a lot of a lot of people would have headed home um, as stipulated by the embassy you know geez you get home we don't know what's coming ahead you know and so a lot of people fucked off home so we lost quite a lot of the expat players obviously the Cambodian players were still around but when we came out of it, really looking at it, we've always been trying to grow the Cambodian side of things anyway. It's it's, it's vital if we wanted this thing to be long-term, you know. Um, but when we came out of it, we, we had nothing but the Cambodians, and it's like, right, we need to get to work here and, and, and start getting some heads and some faces back into it. And that was at the start of 2022, and... I tell you, like it was, it was a tough year. It was up and down. We went, we go from thirty to forty training, right down to three, four. Like we were hitting three or four about four weeks away from the Asian Gaelic Games in 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 Kuala Lumpur. There was actually a point where in about four weeks before that tournament, I was like, lads, I think this club is done. Like I don't know if, like it's just so erratic. It's 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 when it's erratic like that, it's it's really disheartening, you know. It's it's hard to keep putting so much work into it and not seeing much come back out of it, you know, and doing it for like three or four heads. So we almost didn't go to that tournament, like, uh, but we put out one last rallying call and they all came flooding back. And we did it and we got our teams together and we went. And Jesus, yeah, we we nearly went all the, the way again. We were like the mighty ducks going through that tournament, fucking quack, quack, quack with the flying V. Um, and we got to the finals in both the men's and the women's. And the two two squads were predominantly Khmer. Like the, the women's team was nine or 10 out of the 13 uh, were Cambodian. And the men's was, I think, seven or eight out of the 13 that were Cambodian. And we did brought more only we'd promised a couple of fellas who had no club at the time that we'd, we'd take them on, you know? Mm. And we got to the finals with it, like, and Jesus, yeah, we we blew a lot of people's minds that year, to be honest. Like, we were drawing crowds to the games, like, look at these fellas, like, especially the women's, like, they're like piranhas on legs, basically. They're just vicious, like, in, in the tackle and, and how they go about it. They're tiny, but but ferocious, you know? And, but they're exciting. They did... They, 
they all come back and defend as a unit and then work the ball out super fast as a unit, you know, and they're lightning quick because they're, they're just small and nippy, you know. Mm. Um, and on the back of that, we got invited to, to go represent Asia, you know. So, yeah, I didn't, long story short, I didn't set up the club. I, I'm, I'm, I'm overseeing it at the minute. Now I'm the custodian of it at the minute, but I, I definitely didn't set it up. Hmm. How do you finance that, Rob? Because like the Asian Games is absolutely huge, right? There's dozens of teams from all over the region, that kind of thing. But there's no I, like our nearest home game for the Stockholm Gales is two hours up the road. The first yeah. tournament is five hours down the road in Malmo, and then the second tournament this year is in Reykjavik in Iceland. And we're sitting there looking at the cost of airfare for the two teams going over there. Going, will we even make this? Like, so do your players have to pay for themselves? Do you have to fundraise? Do you have sponsors? How do you get the money together? for that oh man through hook nook and cranny and where there's a will there's a way uh we've been very fortunate in some ways uh we've had a couple of long-term sponsors um they'd be on our jersey at the minute like one of them um that you might know would be scoop they're a they're a an ngo a charitable organization that are based in dublin um they do quite a bit of work geez wherever it's needed basically Fuck off WhatsApp. Um, basically, wherever it's needed. Um, they set up a couple of schools in, in Cambodia um, in or around the time when we were starting up the GA club and we got him on as a sponsor. And to be fair to the Mandy Sweeney um, and his brother, I can't think of his brother's name off the top of my head, but they have hearts of gold. And every time we reach out, they're, yeah, we'll sort you out, we'll sort you out. Um, we've got a couple of more sponsors, but they'd be more based in Cambodia. Uh, I don't know about it, what it's like for you. In fact, you guys are probably able to avail of this grant as well. If you, are you guys aware of the, the 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 grant that's made available from the Department of Foreign Affairs? Yeah, so the club got a few of those grants, like, you know, to, uh, for for game player development and for games development and that kind of thing. But that happened in the middle of COVID and that. So the plans had to change slightly and that. But to be honest, the hard part is that I think in those grants, they expressly say that you're not allowed to use the money for, for travel or that kind of thing, you know. So it has to go towards training sessions for developing non-native players, for instance, that kind of thing. So the yeah. big thing really for us is travel. And I can only imagine that that's magnified in Cambodia. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Um, you're right. That DFA is quite quite tricky to kind of get around, you know, but like, um, yeah, we'd use mainly that funding for, for pitch rentals, as you said, um, functions, ambulance hire or whatever. Um, but the travel, then we'll try and siphon as much money from the sponsorship into the travel. Um, like, we're kind of quite lucky as well in, in Cambodia that like, we can kind of get discounts on training pitches and stuff as well. And we can kind of go in and try and get our expat members to pay for the training as well and try and offset the cost of that stuff. Um, but then everything else, and I mean everything else in terms of for the Cambodians, we've got to cover it. Like like Cambodia is in terms of, of, of the GDP per capita. And I know that's not the best, always the best uh, measure of, of where people are at, but like, just to put it in perspective, like I think it's Ireland third on that list at the moment, or it's 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 high up there anyway. Cambodia is 152 on that list. Um, and none of our players that are Cambodian are coming from any sort of middle class or 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 any bit of uh, affluent means of a background. Most of them are coming from real tough, tough, tough backgrounds. A lot of them would have maybe grown up in NGO centers. Um, like even even my own partner, uh, she's playing with us at the minute, but like her up 
upbringing was a scale of poverty that you could you couldn't even fathom. Like, I mean, I go out and I visit her where she grew up all the time, where her dad is still living. There was nine of them in a in a in a one room house that's up in stilts, like that has no running water. Um, I think they only got electricity in there a couple of years ago. You know, it's telling me stories about like growing up trying to find food out in the fields, like. If, like there'd be times when it was really lean. You'd be lucky if you got half a plate of rice. They'd have like the equivalent of vinegar on it just to give it some taste. Um, tough, tough, tough backgrounds, you know. Uh, so you're talking everything. You're talking they don't pay training expenses. We don't like training is three dollars fifty a week. Um, but if you're earning something like one hundred and fifty dollars a month. And your rent is maybe fifty to eighty dollars out of the month, and then you've got to pay food, and your your transport back and forth to work. All of a sudden, three fifty is is quite a substantial amount that might come very very in handy during the week, and we don't want fellas feeling like they can't come because they might need to hold on to training money for something else. So we've always made it that Cambodians would be uh free, would have free access to to everything that we do. Because, look, yeah, we we have a, a nice life here, and it, it it seems absurd that we would be doing all this, and kind of having it as a as a closed circle. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, mm. um, so literally everything. So that's training. Training three fifty. Yeah, then you're talking about it. For example, there's a tournament on in Bangkok, right? We're going to have to pay either a bus or a flight. Oh, do you have a passport? You don't have a passport. We gotta get you a passport. Great, we'll get your passport. Uh, right. What's next? Accommodation. Brilliant accommodation. What's the food like in Bangkok? It's more expensive than Phnom Penh. All right, let's look at getting some stipends for for bits of money here and there. Um. Oh, there's tournament fees. Right. We'll waive that. We'll get the tournament fees paid as well. Um. You're right. Those costs do add up. But we're also very lucky that. The Asian County Board are absolutely phenomenal to us. Mm. Um, Joe Trollin, who would be the development officer here, is absolutely just, he couldn't do enough for us. And the Asian County Board as a whole couldn't do enough for us. They realize what we're doing here. They know what we're up against. And I think they like the fact that we're trying to grow it outside of just the, the Irish communities that you normally see at the Asian Gaelic Games. I don't know if you've ever been. Uh, most of the teams are predominantly Irish, you know. Um, so us kind of rocking up there with teams that are mainly um locals from the the country of origin is kind of a it's a different thing, and they're loving the fact that we're trying to push that, and they do. They try to help us out wherever they can, and we're eternally grateful to them for for all the support that they give us and have given us over the years and are still giving us, you know. Um, they, like certain tournaments, they'll waive fees. They might waive blah 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 and you know what i mean you can you can't buy that kind of support like mm. yeah but it's a tall order it's a, it is a tall order don't get me wrong and there's times you're just thinking to yourself Jesus, this is an amount of work but when it all comes together and you're at a tournament and just the magic that happens it's it's just worth it you know it's it's worth it all 
I remember when we set up the club here in Stockholm and, you know, after a while we were thinking, Jesus, the amount of work we have to do just to go kick a ball at, at three or four tournaments a year, you know? And you start to ask yourself was worth it. But then I remember a girl called Julia Shelson, a Swedish girl, scoring the winner against Malmo in the pretty much the last game of the season at home in Stockholm to win the Nordic Championship. And you go, yeah, no, that is all worth it. Do you still play yourself or have you taken on the, the administrator role, as they call it in the GAA? The administrator, I am, yeah, just... At the minute, there's about three or four of us uh, kind of running things, and we share all those 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 uh, duties and stuff around us. For the last year, I'd say year and a half, two years, I've been coaching. Um, I, I I coach the ladies' team mostly, um, and like that, my fitness has dropped off the, off a cliff. And coming up to the Asian Gaelic Games in Malaysia, I was feeling like. Uh, like a fucking chung I'm stuck in the bottom of someone's shoe I just like I could stretch but then I'd just be stuck there kind of a thing you know and it's like lads I don't know I, I, I don't know if I'll play and then I got there and I fucking won to on a jersey like we went for it back in full back so yeah I still when I when I get to the tournament I get a, a smell of competition or something alright yeah geez, the, the competitive juice inside me start flowing a small bit um, and I get stuck in but generally Generally, I don't get a chance to play at all. Oh, that's a bit of a shame now because I'm still trying to pull on the boots every chance I get myself. Where's the future <laughs> of it, row? Because, as I say, it's a huge... Gaelic games in Asia are huge among, the, as you said, the expat community in inverted commas there. But the only way, and I've said it for years, the future of our games are with people whose names we don't even know. And in some cases, we can't even pronounce them. We have to get them playing it. Do you see a sustainable future for Gaelic games among non-Irish people there? Do you see Cambodian people who come to you and they play one, two, Two, three, four, five seasons, or do you get people change it every couple of years, kind of thing, because they go and they play something else instead? Um, you know what? Actually, with the Cambodians, what we've noticed is they usually tend to stick around. So, um, I would say the first real batch of Cambodians that started playing with us in two thousand, the end of two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, are still with us. Uh, that's five years later. Um. Like, for example, there's one girl who would have started with us at 13 years of age. Um, we were bringing her to regional tournaments uh, by the time she was 14. She's half the size of, of the Irish girl she was up against. She's half their age and, and quadruple the fight inside them. So she was playing a bit of AFL at the time as well. Now, she goes to these tournaments. She's a really unassuming, quiet girl. She's had a Man, she's had a she's lived four lives basically. Um, she's she's an orphan. She's had you name it. She's been through it, you know. Um, so she's really quiet, really unassuming. But then you put her on a football field, she turns into almost like messy. You know that kind of walking around doesn't do much. And then when the ball is near, she's in the right place, the right time, and she explodes into life. Um, and messy is no. Uh, Messi's no standoff either. Messi gets gets stuck in, but she is as rough as 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 toast when she wants to be. There was grown Irish women, 25, 30, 35 years of age, and I'm not joking. You blubbering, blubbering, going up to the referee, tears running down their their face. Stop that! You with that? What you what? You can't tackle like that. You can't. That physicality is not the ladies' game. 
and she's barely coming up to their kneecaps. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the referee's coming over, lads. You'll have to you'll have to calm her down a bit. Like when goalkeeper the defender's trying to get out, she can't be fucking laying into them like that, you know. And we're kind of like, our ah, ref is brilliant, though, isn't it? The ref's like, yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome. Yeah, like, so we don't try to curb that out of them. So, like, yeah, like, we've had that kind of core of players uh, still with us going on and on and on. Uh, usually when they come, they generally tend to stay. However, uh, it's it's a very reserved society in many ways. Uh, and it can be... Look, when you look at some stuff like the wage structure here, like, I mean, Jesus, what I earn in my job compared to if a Cambodian national doing exactly the same job, it's it's chalk and cheese. It's not the same. It's not on the same level at all, um, which is ridiculous. I, I, I don't get it. And it's it's a very, I don't know, that's a thing in Europe, you going into Sweden, for example, and, and, and the Swedes uh, giving you far less, uh, a far less wage, working wage than the Swedes. I don't know if that's a thing, but... Here in Asia, I I know for a fact it's, it's definitely the same in Africa. Um, color your skin automatically almost seems to kind of bump up your pay by double. It's it's disgusting, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, but that permeates in essence into other aspects of life. You know what I mean? So they're they're kind of looking at you as if like, oh, right, you're running the club, which we are fair enough. But like that's how it's always going to be. It's going to be the white guys are running the club. Um, and we're going to stand back and we're kind of going to be quite shy and unassuming about it all and let these guys take it, you know? And that's the biggest challenge is trying to get, um, is trying to instill that confidence in a few of them that you can do this. Like this, this can be you and you, you can grow this. And we have, we have had uh, players, uh, Cambodian players come onto the board and help out in different ways, you know? Um, but there's a couple of things that are, working against us slightly or have been working against us slightly one would be the age profile a lot of them are quite young so they're just not ready for that kind of responsibility and, and kind of workload you know and two is the worry is that when they do get that bit older society here is very much centered around family you know um and you're you're you're, you're to get married you're to have children you're to look after the kids and, and continue the family line, you know? Um, so when players are getting a bit older and starting to go down that line, they then start having less time for playing, of course, and they don't, they're then not going to step into that administrative role, as you put it, you know? But there are a couple of candidates there at the minute. Jeez, we've one young fellow with us. Uh, he's, he's 21. Another young fellow who's been with us since about 14, uh, but he's taken the world by the bull, He's taking the bull by the horns, really. Like he's kind of reminiscent to myself, only only a bit clever about it. He there's no fear in him, and he's out. And he's 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 just taking everything on. He's working in a in a sports resort that's run by Paris Saint Germain in Kosamui. He's freaking negotiated a deal to have the Cambodian national team out there training. He's fearless. He's out there doing stuff, you know. And we're hope he's coming back into the country soon, and we'll be hoping to get him back in in his role here on on on, on the board. Where do you see yourself, Ronan? You sound to me to be very settled there now in Cambodia after living in England and France and Italy and being to Thailand and that kind of thing. Are you happy where you are now? And do you intend to stay there? Or is this another chapter with more to come? I wouldn't tell you, Philip, but I, I can definitely, I couldn't. I mean, because I don't, 
I don't live my life like that, unfortunately. I don't kind of look five years down the road, ten years down the down the road, and I I mean, that's probably to the detriment to myself as 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 I'm getting older for sure. I mean, geez, you have to be giving it some bit of thought, but fucking, I don't because I'm I'm a tool that way. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should be grand. We're looking at it in the morning. Um, but yeah, um, I I I don't. I really, I genuinely don't kind of look at life that way, but like, I would say that I am very settled here. Um, I did fall in love with, with how things work here. I did fall in love with how, how the people work here. I did fall in love with waking up in the morning and every morning uh, the sun is beaming in the window at me. Jesus. And it's not fucking minus four outside and I'm looking for a pair of socks to put on my feet because it's freezing and and wondering if the immersion is turned on and it, and it's grey and dreary. Not having that, even just to start your day like that every day is, is a blessing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working with, with, with kids now. As I said, I do like helping people and I my job my job selection has kind of always reflected that and, and, and that's kind of what I've done here as well. And man, I, I can't quite put into words what it's kind of like working with kids and, and, and like it's schoolwork or whatever, like, but like getting to interact with them and, 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 and work with them and watch them grow and see them starting to put two and two together and watch, watch, watch their outlook and life change. And as they're, they're starting to, to realize that it's not all just about, what they're being told, but what they can do, you know, and, and being a part of that is, it's, it's, again, it's a beautiful thing. Like I wake up in the morning going to work and I'm like, she's like, it's going to work and I'll be seeing such and such today. And I, I'll be interested to hear what he's got to say on this. Like, and that's a fabulous feeling. Um, I've a, a long-term partner here. I've been with for the last five years. And Jesus, don't get me wrong. We drive each other up and down the wall and back over the road and, 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 and back again. But, Whatever it is about her and whatever it is about me for her, uh, we keep coming back to each other, you know, like as much as we drive each other nuts, we're mad at each other, but we're mad for each other as well, you know. Um, and yeah, we've been living together for the last four or five years and that's been great as well. And that's been building. And, and as you said, I'm getting to 35, there's there's talks of family and, 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 and everything else and yeah, I do feel very, very settled here, to be quite honest. Um, I do feel like I've kind of slowed down in quite in quite many ways. I don't feel that kind of itch to be fucking super adventurous. I know this year has been a massive undertaking in terms of the GA, but like, you know, that sense of adventure and open road has never felt kind of so far away and, and, and this kind of sense of being rooted and 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 kind of involved in, in everything that's going around me has never been so strong at the minute. So if I was to, if I was a betting man and I'm not because I've never won a fucking bet in my life, um, I bet you I lose the next one. That's what I'll bet you. Um, if I was a betting man, my 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 bet would probably be on being here for the foreseeable future. Anyway, yeah, unless well, something drastically changes. Yeah, if I had to put a bet on it, I don't think I'd bet that anybody would ever say that you're somebody's brother or somebody's sister or somebody's son ever again because you've very much become your own man out there. Rona Jean, thank you so much for talking to me, pal. No worries, Philip, and thank you for reaching out, fella. Uh, just before you go, for anyone who may be out there in the, the wide, wide world of the interweb who might be listening to this, uh, the club's name is Kardjikumar, Cambodia. We're currently fundraising and also 
sponsorship drive in to get to Derry in Ireland. We're going there in July for the World Games in Owen Bank. Uh, we have a GoFundMe. I'll send you the link. Uh, if anyone out there wants to reach into their pockets, I'll stick my hat out for you, throw a few bob into it. We'd be forever grateful. We'll stick the uh, the link to the GoFundMe is going to go in the show notes. So it doesn't matter if you're listening to this on Spotify or Podbean or whatever you listen to. Scroll down a little bit, lads and ladies, right? You'll find a link to the GoFundMe and then you click on that, right? And then you empty your bank account into the thing because if there's one thing we want to see, is it at the end of June now in Derry that they have the, the World Games, is it? End of July, 23rd of July. The 23rd of July. So we want to see the Cambodian GEA team represented over there. And we yeah, want to no. see Ronan on the sideline roaring his head off and half a can up there to have a look at him as well. And for the sake of the podcast, we'll try and get over and, and we'll broadcast a couple of the games as well. But for now, thanks very much indeed, Ronan. You're a gentleman, Philip. Thank you very much. Be good, lads. There you go. That was Ronan Sheehan. Lads, we're up over an hour and 27 minutes for this podcast. But sure, I couldn't help myself. How could I not bring you all these wonderful voices? The end of St. Patrick's Day and the wonderful Claire Cunningham and the wonderful Ronan Sheehan over there in Cambodia. But let that be it for this week and we'll see who we'll bring you again next week. Again, if you have the chance, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm to support the podcast. Have a look in the show notes and you'll see uh, if you can support the lads over in Cambodia to bring them over to Ireland for the World Games in July, not in June, it's in July. So go into there, go fund me there and throw in a few bob. And sure, if you happen to have, you know, if you happen to be a billionaire, should we all know a few of them lads? Uh, throw in a few bob and get them over there because I think it would be a brilliant thing for the GAA and for Ronan and for all the people working over there. In the meantime, I'll leave it at that for this week. There'll be an Irish and Sweden podcast on Monday if you fancy throwing an ear to that. Uh, and I'll be back again next week. So look after yourselves, look after one another and I'll talk to you then, no matter where you are in the world. <laughs>